This is the Tao of Christ, and I'm Marshall Davis. In this podcast, I explore the mystical roots of Christianity, which Jesus called the Kingdom of God, which church historian Evelyn Underhill called the Unit of Life, and which Richard Rohr calls the Universal Christ, and which I refer to as Christian non-duality, unitive awareness, or union with God. This is the Tao of Christ. Good morning, this is Marshall Davis. I've had listeners contact me who are at an impasse in their spiritual life and they ask the question, what can I do? What can I do to experience unitive awareness, to know non-dual awareness? What can I do to wake up or be liberated or be enlightened or experience eternal life? And in the New Testament, the form of the question is normally phrased as, what must I do to be saved, or inherit eternal life, or enter the kingdom of heaven? Many have been on the spiritual path for a long time, for years, or maybe even decades, without a definitive breakthrough. And they ask, what can I do? That is a difficult, if not impossible, question to answer because in the final analysis it is a matter of grace. But that doesn't mean there's nothing we can do. Throughout the centuries spiritual teachers have given their disciples something to do. The Buddha gave his followers the Eightfold Path, which is normally summarized as right views, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. My spiritual teacher, Jesus, is no different. He gave people something they could do. One day, a a wealthy young man from the ruling class came to him with the age-old question. In the Gospels, it took this form, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The question itself reveals the paradox at the heart of the question because he calls eternal life an inheritance. And there's nothing a person can do to receive an inheritance. An inheritance is a gift. It's all about who we are, not what we do. But like all spiritual seekers, this man needed something to do. So Jesus tells him to obey the moral commandments, what the Jews called the law, what the Buddha summed up as right speech, right action, and right livelihood. The man replied that he had observed the Ten Commandments and the moral commandments of the Torah all his life. Jesus responded that there was one more thing to do. Jesus told him to sell everything that he owned give the proceeds to the poor, and to come be his disciple. In other words, Jesus told the man that he had to be all in. Hold nothing back in his quest for eternal life. The young man was not willing to do that. He was not all in. The exhortation to complete commitment 
was a common refrain in Jesus' teaching. When Jesus called each of his 12 disciples, he told them to leave everything behind, including their families and their livelihood, and to follow him. He said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's a common pattern in Zen Buddhism for masters to require their disciples to show steadfast devotion to the spiritual life by spending years in service to the master before they even begin to talk about spiritual matters. It was a way of weeding out people who were not earnest. In the Buddha's Eightfold Path, this is called right intention, right effort, and right concentration. Jesus put it this way. We might call it his threefold path. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. He gave that teaching in conjunction with a story he told of a persistent man who would not stop knocking on the door of his friend's house at midnight, waking up the owner of the house in order to receive some bread. One translation of Jesus' teaching translates Jesus' words this way, Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Jesus' threefold path is the three related qualities of persistence and perseverance and determination. I think that all three point to that quality of stubbornness and tenacity. When people ask me what they can do to find that which they have been searching for, I tell them to persevere, no matter what. Keep on keeping on. It's all a matter of right intention, right effort, right concentration, as the Buddha said. The spiritual life rewards those who will not give up. People who want the answer at all costs. You have likely heard some version of the old story about a man who came to a preacher asking how to attain eternal life. The preacher immediately took the man down to the river to baptize him by immersion, like a good Baptist. He dunked him un under the water, but instead of bringing him right up again, the preacher held the man down under the water man flailed and struggled to come back to the surface, but this preacher was big and he was strong and he held him under the water. And when the man had nearly drowned, the preacher finally lifted him back to the surface. The man coughed and caught his breath and finally sputtered, Why'd you do that? I nearly died. The preacher replied, I was answering your question. When you desire God as much as you just desired breath, then you will attain eternal life. When people ask me what they can do to see the kingdom of God, or words to that effect, I tell them it is a matter of resolve. 
I have desired spiritual liberation more than anything else in my life. When I was a young man, I gave up the opportunity to inherit the family business, a chain of hardware stores, in order to go to seminary and pursue a spiritual path, much to the distress of my business-oriented family. Furthermore, I did not go to seminary to be trained to get a job as a pastor. I had no intention of becoming a pastor at that time, although that's where it turned out. I went there because I figured that was where I could devote myself most completely to the spiritual life. I had surrendered my life to the Lordship of Christ at the age of 22 when I was still working in the family business. When I did that, I went all in. I did not stop there. For many Christians, conversion is enough. And they spend the rest of their Christian lives talking about their conversion and talking about being saved as if it was something in the past. For them, getting their ticket punched to heaven is the whole purpose of the gospel. And they are willing to spend the rest of their lives talking about that and waiting for the, that train to heaven to, to leave the station. That mentality is the reason for the spiritual poverty of evangelical Christianity today. For me, my Christian conversion was just the beginning. Twenty years after that conversion, I traveled through the valley of the shadow of death, what has been called the dark night of the soul, to find the fullness of eternal life. Not just the promise of heaven when I die, but eternal life now. When I went through that time, I felt like I died, and I did. It was the death of the ego, although I did not know what to call it at the time. There was such darkness and despair and fear at the experienced death of my separate self that it really scared me to death. And I abandoned the contemplative life for years, for I thought therein lies madness. As King Lear said, Oh, that way madness lies, let me shun it. No more of that. That's exactly the way that I felt. I wanted no more of that. So I retreated into the safety of the evangelical Christianity that I had known earlier in my life. Evangelicalism was my escape from God. It was a way for me to hide from spiritual reality into religion. And that is why I am so hard on evangelicalism these days, because I know it well from the inside, and I know evangelicals well. I know it to be mostly a way that Christians hide from the true God and from the living Christ. It's a retreat into man-made religion. It took another 20 years after that of persistently peeling back the layers 
of my newly adopted evangelical Christianity and then broader traditional Christianity to finally see the hollowness of it. I thoroughly deconstructed my Christian theism. I seriously explored atheism to see if it had the answers, but then eventually returned to the authentic roots of Jesus' teaching. And finally, when I was at the end of my rope, when I thought I was literally knocking at death's door, by the grace of God, the door opened. And I let go of my dead self that I had been carrying along with me for 20 years. I gave up my life and I found life. I woke up to true self and to the reality of who I am in Christ. From the time I first gave my life to Christ and was baptized from 1972 to 2012, that was 40 years, a nice biblical number. I appreciate now why the number 40 is so often used in the Bible, like the 40 days and 40 nights of Noah's flood and the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness and the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness. Through my 40 years in the wilderness, I kept asking and I kept seeking and I kept knocking and the door to the promised land opened. The asking and the seeking and the knocking did not open the door. There's a famous painting by William Holman Hunt, which was later copied by Warner Salmon of Jesus knocking on a door representing the door of the heart. And some form of this can be often be found in churches even today. In that painting, there is no lock and no handle on the outside of the door. The handle is on the inside. So it can only be opened from within. What I discovered was that the one who knocks on the outside is the one who opens the door from the inside. I was already on the inside. In reality, there is no inside and outside. It's all one. It took a long time of intentional spiritual quest to see that. And I realize now that it did not have to take 40 years. That was just my stubbornness and my ego and myself refusing to see what was, was obvious. It didn't have to take 40 years. It didn't have to take 40 days or 40 minutes or even 40 seconds. Because the door is always unlocked. In fact, the door stands open just like the, the curtain to the Holy of Holies was ripped open when Jesus died. That's the meaning of the symbolism of that event, of the death of Jesus. The kingdom of God is out here in the open and has always been out here. All it takes is the death, the death of the self, to see the open door. For some reason, to see this seems to require a willingness to give up everything. 
including our own soul, our own self, we have to be all in. Like Jesus was all in, even to the point of death. Like Buddha was all in when he sat down under that Bodhi tree and said he would not move until he found enlightenment or he died trying. There is no playing at the spiritual life. It has to be a matter of life or death, or you might as well forget it. You know, if this is a spiritual hobby for you, a pastime or a bit of spiritual entertainment or recreation, then you might as well just quit right now. But if you are willing to spend as long as it takes and expend all the effort and energy that is necessary to find the kingdom of God, then you will find. If you are willing to keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking, then the one on the inside will one day wake up and open the door. And you will come face to face with the owner of the house and recognize your own face. Your true face, the face you had before your birth and before the creation of the world. It is you who wakes up because it is you knocking on the door. That's it for today. Grace and peace to you. That is the Tao of Christ for today. Thank you for listening. You can access other episodes of this podcast at thedowofchrist.com. You can also find these podcasts in video format at my YouTube channel at christiannonduality.net. My blog, Spiritual Reflections, can be found at marshalldavis.us. There you will also find a link to my books and my email address. Join me next time for another episode of The Tao of Christ.